Good day, everybody, and welcome to the Vittles and Vitals podcast, where we talk about important stuff and how that stuff connects to food, because everything connects to food. I'm Jay Reed. I'm the father. And I'm Jacob Reed, the son, and we're your hosts. And this week we are recording, let's see, it is two days past the final debate of the 2020 presidential election. That wow. puts us, let's see, today we're about 10 days out from the actual voting. And so we thought, what is more vital at this stage than elections? And at the same time, there is plenty of negativity about elections out there right now. So we are going to bring the fun. Or at least we're going to try our very best. And, you know, this is not a political podcast. We're not going to tell you who to vote for. That's up to you. We just recommend that you do vote. You know, use that liberty that we have because not everybody has it. But, and we'll talk about that later, but... Going back to the deep, deep, dark history, not dark, what, it's not a dark history, (laughs) into the deep history of elections, they've been around for quite a while, and I didn't really realize how long they had been around until I did the little bit of internet research that I did, so if I say anything wrong in the midst of this, feel free to send us an Instagram DM or something like that, you know how to you know, whatever. But elections have been around since at least ancient Greece as well as ancient India. Okay. So they've been around for a hot minute. So that was really interesting. Um, but they have not always looked like they do today. No, they have not. So this is one of my personal favorites. And there's another one that I'm going to spring on you because I just remembered it. But in the Chola Empire, I would say, which is about 920 years uh, before the birth of Christ, in the not even going to try to pronounce the original term, but in the Tamil, what was now Tamil Nadu, uh, the way that they chose the village, village committee members, which is, I guess, their form of government, uh, they were used. They used palm leaves. And what they would do is that they would write the names of the candidates on them, and they would put them inside of a mud pot. So I guess. And enclosed maybe a little hole to stick a hand through. And is that where the political term of mudslinging came from? I probably not, but it would be pretty great if it was. But this is my favorite part of this whole thing. So, you know, typically when you think about elections, you think a bunch of old men sitting around casting their votes. No, in this place, they chose a young boy to reach his hand in and to pull out as many leaves as the numbers of positions needed. And that would choose the people for that. So, so the name was that, written on the leaf. Is that where? Yeah. So it would just choose the name. And I guess the young boy was considered to be very, I don't know, nonpartisan, one might say. <laughs> okay. And he would just randomly pick one. And that shows the system. So very different than what we see today. Oh, very, very much so. Another one that I ran into that actually I think still may go on today. And that's in the country of Gambia. Apparently at some point along the way, they realized that, I mean, the reality is that there's just a lot of the voters are, are illiterate and they had to figure out a way that people could vote 
um, without having to read the ballot. So they've got the voting booth set up where there's uh, however many uh, parties there are, candidates like there. Uh, the picture I saw had a green bucket, a, a red bucket, and a yellow bucket, I think, and a picture of the candidate, some sort of symbol to let pers- the people know, you know who it was they were voting for. And there's a little hole kind of a thing on the top of the bucket, and it's a, it's a metal bucket. They drop a marble into the okay. bucket of their choice, and it rings a bell. It hits the bell at the bottom of it, and so that lets the people... I guess the voting, the election commission, whatever the equivalent, know that a vote has been cast, mm-hmm. keeps it from, you know, people can't vote too many times because the bell would ring. You know, if you had a pocket full of marbles, pocket, uh, that's not easy to say. Pocket full of marbles. Right. I feel like I've got marbles in my mouth. Um, but if you got, you know, if somebody had 10 marbles in their pocket, every time it dropped in, it would ring a bell. So you can't cheat. Hmm. And then at the end, they just have these like trays in the, it's, I guess it's like a Chinese checkerboard where you've got a tray that'll hold 250 marbles or 500 marbles. And mm-hmm. they just put the marbles out on the tray and, and count them that way. Hmm. Um, but I thought that was really cool. And I think I read one thing that said that Taiwan donated like thousands of like 1.5 million marbles or something to the, to the country to, to help it um, take care of these elections. So that was probably the most fascinating <laughs> method i read yeah no that's a really interesting way imagine trying to do that in the united states today just imagine the the marble budget we would have to put in into that i don't even know how you would do that but that would be really funny to watch um yeah so something else that i have just recently found about elections is that you know in our modern day and age it is highly illegal to purchase votes per se one might say to like you know heavily influence you know we have all these rules you can't put campaign signs within a hundred feet of a polling place and stuff like that and it can be a really big deal that has not always been the case in america so this may be something that somebody will fact check me on but apparently our beloved first president george washington spent his entire campaign budget all 60 pounds which is not that much <laughs> well it might have, been more to, then. might have been more than but compared to the i think it's 11 billion spent on campaigning ridiculous but he spent all 60 pounds of his cash on booze yep and just stood outside the polling place handing out drinks and then handing pre-signed ballots so like already said yes just to people that you're up in the box and that's how he won the election which i think is wow. a crazy First way to do it. Re-election was. was uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, yeah, but I just found that really interesting. So consider your facts checked. Yeah, so I just thought that was really funny and just something so far out of what we see today. So yeah, and uh, talking about the uh, the media in apparently in New Zealand, after seven p.m. on election day eve, the media can't talk about the election. So you can't have any like uh, social media. It can't be, you know, news. I mean, our whole, you know, our, our every TV station is dominated by election eve stuff. But in, apparently in New Zealand, the media has to bug out so people can vote uninfluenced. Honestly, I think that would be a great idea. Or even right now, just the, <laughs> the endless ads I have received. It's on my YouTube. I'm, I'm not even a voter in the state that I live in and I'm getting ads for people like mail ads like it's crazy 
Yeah, well, I got some emails the other on. day that were uh, assuming I supported one candidate, and um, I was like, "How in the world did you get my email?" And then I then they have that announcement about Iran and and uh, Russia targeting voters and sending emails, and I think maybe I got one of those. I would not be surprised. It's been a interesting election cycle, to say the least. Yeah. Well, why, but, why don't we Why don't we vote on Tuesday, Jacob? Uh, why do we vote on Tuesday? Well, let us, you know, we're both good old Mississippi boys, as my New Testament professor says. And, you know, we, America comes from a deep history of agriculture. And then, you know, a lot of people went to church on Sunday, all that good stuff. But, so the reason that's, not but, and the reason why it's on a Tuesday is because in America, Sunday is the Lord's Day, the Sabbath, you know. Guys would go to church and not work that day. So you can't have it on a Sunday. And Monday, you know, you haven't worked at least a day. You got to get back to the fields. And then you can't do it on a Wednesday because it's market day. So they decided to do it on Tuesday. So the fact that a farmer could travel on a Monday, vote on a Tuesday, and still get to market on Wednesday. Yep. And then uh, connected to that is why November, of course, not everything's in November, but, you know, the big election in November, because it was after harvest and not quite, you know, like frozen roads and snow and everything. So it was a kind of a good time of year in between. So that's why we have And it. I read about why it was the first Tuesday, November. I can't remember the exact. Um, it has to do with Halloween, though, it has to do with not not voting on All Hallows Eve or something. And so that's why it's so early in November, but you know, it could be, there's, there's, there's a limit. And I don't know if we still follow that exactly. Uh, but in the original days, it had something to do with, with All Hallows Eve. I did not know that. Yeah. So that's actually really interesting. Yeah. So another now, thing, go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead. Another thing that I learned a lot of this stuff came from like other countries, the stuff that I came across. And one was Australia. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, getting out the vote and getting people registered and, you know, how, what percentage. And really the USA has kind of a low percentage compared to a lot of countries. And Australia, if you don't vote, you get fined. It's mandatory. And if you don't pay your fine, the fine goes up. It's crazy. So I think they probably have a pretty high percentage. And then in North Korea, believe it or not, they have elections, but the winners are kind of chosen before the election happens. And the ballot yeah, there's only one person on the ballot, right? Well, yeah, more or less. So the ballots are just there to show your support for the candidate. And uh, apparently they get 100% support every time. I do not doubt it. One thing I th thought was interesting is that many of the countries, such as you know Greece, Australia, Brazilia, actually hold their elections on a weekend. Compared to, you know, I wondered about uh, that. Is that because people are not working or did you see? I didn't see it quite a lot. I didn't actually see, but I, I think it's just kind of, you know, most people are kind of follow the Monday through Friday work schedule. So I think having it on a Saturday, you know, so kind of a weekend, uh -huh. people have free time or a lot of countries just make election day like a national holiday. Right. And I've heard so that advocated here as well. I would, I wish that was true. I would, I would think it would be a good idea mainly because it's, Sometimes you have to go try to vote and it's just a weird time and you got work oh, yeah, yeah. and everything like that. See, that wouldn't work in India. In India, I read that sometimes elections can take weeks to finish because you've got 800 million people 
that have to vote, I guess that would be a national election mm -hmm. so in order to get that many people in the polling places and voting. Just, you know, it's not like, you know, people are worried now that we might not know the result of our election on the evening of November 3rd, like we often do. But, um, you know, it's because there's such an enormous amount of mail-in and, and absentee ballots this year. But there, there's, there's just 800 million people or however many there is now. And that's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I've, I'm voting by mail this year. And I think if I remember correctly, my vote counts as long as it's postmarked by November 3rd. Okay. Yeah. There's a that's lot not, of discussion about that right now. Yeah. And not even counting in, you know, it's going to take a couple of days to get there. So I found that really interesting. Yeah. But there are some very funny elections that we ran across in our research. So I just have a couple for you. So according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the most uh, corrupted election in history was the 1927 general election in Liberia. Charles D.B. King, great name, who was seeking a third term. D.B. King, the king of the blues. Not quite. Uh, who was seeking a third term as president, won about 234,000 votes to his opponent's 9,000. The interesting part about it was that there was only 15,000 eligible voters in the country at the time. That's a quite a show of support. <laughs> that is, it is amazing. Everybody had to vote, I can't even count how many times, at least 10 times. See, marbles and bells, that would have prevented that. Marbles and bells. Did you know if you're in Ohio and you're an idiot, you can't vote? What defines an idiot? Well, yeah, see, that's the that is the question. That is a question. It is uh, in the Ohio Constitution that idiots and insane persons are not allowed to vote. That's really interesting. It's an old term. And then, um, do you know who has been president but was never elected to anything, or has never? I do, I do not. Gerald Ford, apparently, when. Okay. Uh, when Nixon became president, he his vice president was Spiro Agnew, and after a couple of months, he resigned. So Gerald Ford was appointed to the vice presidency. And then, as you may recall, not because you were alive, but because you've read history, Nixon eventually resigned himself, and Ford became president. So he was vice president and president without ever participating in an election. Now, he did try to win the next election and did not succeed, but... Uh, and then uh, hey, another one, another interesting thing on that, John Quincy Adams, because, you know, you hear a lot about, even last year, I think, the popular vote winner and the electoral college winner are not always the same. That's happened about five times where the person won the popular vote but did not win the electoral. Uh, John Quincy Adams didn't win either way. Um, the There was no majority, and it went to the House, and apparently he had so many friends in the House that they chose him. So he didn't win either, either majority. Hey, that's the way to win an election, you know, lose and still have enough buddies in the right places to win. Um, this is another fun one for you. In 1964, 1964, Haitian dictator Papa Doc, which is, I think, Wonderful. both of my grandfather's <laughs> names combined. That's right. Asked to be elected as president for life and won 99.9% of the vote. All of the ballots were pre-marked. Yes. <laughs> Another good way to win. So just real quickly before we move on to the fun part and the, the, the food part is um, you're, you're pointing at me. 
Oh, I was going to say I had one last thing oh, before not. we made the transition. Okay. Um, so, you know, good old America voting, you can vote by mail, you can vote early, you know, they're all about trying to get the vote. But what about our astronauts in space? You can't send a mail-in ballot up there. As far as I can tell, they are the only people in the world allowed to vote by email. That's I think But they can vote from the ISS via secure email. So I thought that was a really cool, you know, yeah, yeah. those are smart guys. I did read that Estonia, the country of Estonia, has had online voting since 2005, which I found kind of staggering to believe. But hey, if the internet says it, it must be true. Oh, and here's one one thing that I thought was fascinating. In 1967, it was a very good year, uh, in Ecuador, a bottle of foot powder won a mayoral election. I saw that. Mm-hmm. That's wild. It reminded me, there was a reason because it was going to keep people hygienic. Um, when I was at Ole Miss, we had a, it was kind of like a Mr. Miss Ole Miss. It was Colonel Rebel and Miss Ole Miss. And um, one of my cousins was, running for Mr. Ole Miss or Colonel Rebel. Uh, unfortunately, running against him was the cartoon character by the name of Opus the Penguin. So if you're a, fa- a fan of Bloom County, uh, Berkeley Breathed is the author, and I probably said that wrong. But in any case, um, in that election, Opus won. Now, he did not qualify because he didn't have a, a, he didn't have a grade point average at all. But uh, had, had they allowed him, he would have been – Colonel Rebel that year. So, you know, I kind of felt bad for Benton, but it is what it is. Hey, there's a couple of dogs out there that are mayors of towns. So you got to think about that as well. Yeah. I think our blaze qualifies, but um, sometimes he's smart. Sometimes he's not. That is true. All right. So the thing about, um, we talked a little bit about elections themselves. And one of the things that you see as the candidates go around and campaign is what they eat it seems like like here in mississippi this year it didn't happen because of you know the the virus that shall not be named but usually the shoba county fair a lot of times presidential candidates will come i think trump's son came ronald reagan came uh it's a big deal always their election speeches and if it's a year of a presidential election a lot of times your presidential candidates will show up so you know that's kind of the one thing that if you know, presidential candidates are, are not normal people. And I'm quoting uh, eater.com, but you know, we know that to be true. You have to be a special kind of person to put yourself through that. Um, oh, for sure. But one of the things that connects you to voters is, is food. So one of the challenges though, is to eat on camera or in front of people. And of course now cameras, phones, Instagram, everything is, is so much out there that you can't, if you take a bite of something, somebody's going to snap it, but it is important. And so it's just kind of interesting to watch, uh, eater. And I think CBS, um, some of the other sites that I researched, you know, basically followed the candidates around and ask them, you know, what their favorite food was, what was their comfort food. So here's just going back historically, some of the things that have happened. Um, I, I wish I'd have seen this. Apparently somebody handed Gerald Ford, who we spoke about earlier, a tamale, and he proceeded to bite the tamale without taking the husk off. So, isn't that poisonous? I don't think it's poisonous, but uh, it's certainly hard. You're saying a tamale? Tamale. My bad. I was thinking you were saying a tomatillo. Tomatillo. 
No, there may have been tomatillo in it, but uh, no, tamale. You know, it has a corn husk wrapped around it usually. Yes, yes, yes. And, and they're delicious to be eaten. I haven't had a tamale in a hot minute, but that's another thing. <laughs> I, the of all of that, I think the most interesting part to me was the video uh, that you sent me where they were all talking about like their, their comfort foods right. and everything. One of these gentlemen, I think it's uh, Rooker. Is that his last name? Booker. Ben, ben Rooker? Brooker? Corey Booker? B- yeah. He was like vegetables. But I mean, he is a vegan, so it makes sense. But, you know. Boring. I, just, I know. It's so boring. And there's so many other options out there, but I guess not for vegans. Yeah. Well, I, I certainly not. the Maybe the breading around the corn dog could eat without the dog itself. I honestly could not tell you. There's a lot of pictures of corn dogs. I saw Bernie Sanders eating a corn dog and Elizabeth Warren at least carried one around the fair. I don't know if she actually ate it, but she carried it around and probably used it as a pointer or something. I typically don't extend judgment to candidates, but there are so many better fair foods than the corn dog. Like I know it's the classic, you know, it makes you look all American and everything, but when there are fried Oreos present oh, yeah. or other deep fried things, you go for a corn dog. Yeah, well, That's I think Pete, um, how do you say it? Buttigieg? I don't Buttigieg. even try to say his last name. I can't anyway, even pronounce it. About Pete Buttigieg. Uh, he was pretty famous for trying just about everything, all the fried stuff. And uh, he, he actually, though, he messed up once when he was trying to eat a cinnamon roll and like cut it into small pieces and then ate it like a chicken. <gasps> Gasp, the men cut up a cinnamon roll like half of Americans. Well, I don't know. He, the thing is, he cut it into slices and then held it up. I wish, you know, we don't have a video, but he held it up. Oh, wait, I did see like that. A corn that, that is a like little... a chicken wing trying to nibble it off. I mean, come on. It, it's a strange way. I, I th- and my, in my defense, I thought he was like cutting into like a bite and stabbing the thing with a fork. No, there was no like fork a, involved. Like he most still ate it with eat. his hands, but uh, in a very strange way. That's okay. Yeah. But respect for him for trying everything out there. Sure. But one of my favorite things that I saw that I want to try personally. So out of the the whole Iowa State Fair, which is, you know, kind of the big one that everybody's that's, trying. That's early to primary state, right? I think. Yeah, early primary state. So it's kind of a, a big deal. And, you know, the walking through the fair eating is a big deal for candidates. So this year on the Democratic side, there were two vegans. Uh, still can't pronounce his name. Booker, Kurt, Booker, and then the the woman Clover who Char. was from Hawaii. Oh yes. no, no, Tulsi Gubbard. That's right. It wasn't Clover. Char. Yeah, Tulsi Gabbard. Gubbard. Gubbard. But they were both vegan, and there was only one stand that even sold remotely vegetarian things. And of all of that, there was one vegan item, which was a deep fried peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Which sounds pretty good. I want to try that myself, and I ain't vegan, so it sounds delicious. Maybe I'll try to attempt it at home. But the other interesting thing to me was, I think one of the big things is pork is a major export of Iowa. So steak fry or the pork the steak fry. There was, I think it's a pork steak deal where they're like just the picture of Biden when he's flipping steaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, I think it's more than just steaks, but you know, the pork association is a major sponsor of the fair. So it's like a, a custom a ritual, I don't know what you want to call it, but like candidates will like flip pork products on the grills right. and serve them to people. And I thought that was really interesting, you know, just getting that opportunity. 
Yeah. Now going back a little bit, I remember when Ronald Reagan was president and he mentioned one time that he liked jelly beans. And so his office was just uh, inundated with people sending him jelly beans. Now, I don't know if they're, if the president of the United States has a, a tester, you know, that somebody had to taste all those jelly beans before they went on his desk. But I definitely remember that that was a, a big deal was made of that. And then his, his vice president, George Bush made, the, this was great because kids everywhere loved George Bush because he said, I've never liked broccoli and I'm president of the United States and I'm not going to eat broccoli. And so, you know, all the kids who don't like broccoli are going, yay, woo. And then all the parents who were trying to force their kids were like, shoot. <laughs> I know. That's wild. Random fact for you today. The like, head like chef. The rest of them were not. I know. They're all random facts here at this podcast. But the head chef right now for President Trump uh, used to be in the military. He has biceps are at least the size of my head. And he does like a thousand pushups every day. Jiminy christmas i know it's like he's wearing his chef shirt and it's like if he's if he like is cutting too hard it looks like it's about to just rip the shirt i'm pretty sure they're custom made but that was just an interesting thing for you you don't get that way eating big macs like uh, not at all used to make a big deal out of him liking big macs like he would take a jog and stop by mcdonald's uh his wife apparently is a fan of hot sauce and carries hot sauce in her purse which you know Remind you a little bit of Beyonce, who had a song where she talked about having hot sauce in her bag. So naturally, you know, whenever I think of Hillary Clinton, I think of Beyonce. That's you know the natural link there. Natural. Joke. I would before this podcast never make that link. But <laughs> the funniest thing now, though about Hillary, though, I will. Hillary had some uh, somewhere along the way had some boba tea, you know, with the little tapioca pearls in the bottom. Mm-hmm. Delicious but weird texture, and she called it. Oh, this is chewy tea. I mean, in her defense, it is chewy tea. It is chewy, and uh, yeah. And one of the um, one of the other gaffes, uh, John Kerry, when he was running for president, was in Philadelphia, and ordered a you know Philly steak like you do, but ask for Swiss cheese instead of cheese whiz. Gasp. Trouble. Yeah, that is a gasp. I mean, it's, it's fine if you like it, but uh, you know, if you're trying to appeal to the voters of that area, you can't be changing things up like that. Mm-hmm. I know that, and this is maybe an aside. I know cheese whiz is the traditional way to do it, but is it white American that's the other way to do it? I forgot. There's like a white cheese that you can put on it. I think there's there's lots of options you could do it. I mean, you can get Swiss if you want it, but it's just not traditional. The cheese whiz is the number one. So there's one thing, but I need, before we go to the next segment, um, this one really jumped out at me. And I think it's important to notice there's a, um, a bakery in, let's see, Hatboro, Pennsylvania. For the last three elections, they have been making cookies for the two different candidates. And Mm -hmm. the number of cookies sold has correlated to the winner of the of the election for the last three elections usually they sell hundreds this year so far they have sold thousands of cookies and they even limit it says the name of the bakery is locals is l-o-c-h-e-l-s um 
they limit it to six per customer if you or you can make an advanced order of 100 or more but um in let's see in 2016 the voters in that county voted for hillary 58 percent, but trump still won the election would you like to know who is winning the cookie election at this moment sure it is trump three to one so Sheesh. so i wasn't expecting i'm that. not making that prediction but and, and, I, and this is a few days also things could have changed you know who knows but um that'll be interesting to watch to see if the bakery cookie contest predicts it once again so keep your eye on that folks Ladies and gentlemen, you know what those drum beats mean. It is time for our flavorites. So, Dad, what is your flavorite for this week? Well, I'm going to keep things kind of in the same genre, and I'm going to do something I don't often do, which is recommend a book that I have not yet read. But since yeah. my son is on this podcast and my other family members occasionally listen, I'm going to say that any any of these things would be great under the Christmas tree this year. So. Anyway, the name of the author is Adrian Miller. You can go to his website at adrianmiller.com, and that's A-D-R-I-A-N-E, miller.com. I guess the E is his middle initial. Um, like I said, I have not read the book, but I have met Adrian, and he's a very cool guy, and he won a James Beard Award for a book called uh, Soul Food Scholar. Well, he calls himself the Soul Food Scholar, he wrote a book called Soul Food that won the 2014 James Beard Award for reference and scholarship. So, I mean, that's a big deal. Uh, James Beard Awards are pretty much the Oscars of, of food in the you know, books and chefs and everything. But the fascinating book that I want to recommend regarding what we were talking about is called The President's Kitchen Cabinet. And the subtitle is The Story of the African-Americans Who Have Fed Our First Families from the Washingtons to the Obamas. And so it's just a kind of a history of the cooks uh, who have primarily been uh, African-American through these years. Um, and it just looks like a fascinating book. And I, I would recommend just because I know him, uh, he won an award at the Southern Foodways Alliance a few years ago or two or three years ago. And uh Melissa and I, my wife, were standing at the table, just kind of enjoying the appetizers, waiting for the event to start. And and he came up to our table. We had, we had no idea that this was the dude that was about to win the big award, but uh, just super nice and um, does all kinds of things. He's, I mean, this is writing. He's writing a book on um, on African American barbecue uh, history right now as well. So anyway, Adrian Miller, the president's kitchen cabinet. Um, get one for you, get one for me and, uh, rock on. Well, that sounds like an interesting read to say the least. Uh, my favorite for this week is following the line of, you know, staying up to date on political matters. Uh, it's called the briefing. So it is a daily podcast about 30 minutes long uh, done by daily. So Monday through Friday. Okay. It's amazing, but it's done by Albert Moeller who is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he just kind of gives you a rundown of like the most important things 
that Christians should know about. And he talks about them a little bit. You know, he it's world news from a Christian perspective, something along those lines. I listen to it every morning just to give myself a little quick update, see what the, the biggest things are going on in the world, because he has subscriptions to a lot more news sites than I do. So, so it's kind of like the but, pour over newsletter, but through Al Mohler's. Yeah, essentially. Well, that's another good resource. I'm going to have two flavorites. You know, why not? The pour over newsletter. I found them through Facebook. Good guys. Yeah, it's pretty good. Just search them. You can sign up. No, or, it's or only Monday, Wednesday, Friday. If you want to be referred properly, you can contact Jacob or I. We can send you a referral and, and uh, you know, maybe one of us can get some cool stuff. I do have the mug. You have the mug, see? So 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 contact me if you want to get the pour over and I will refer you. It, and it, what it is is a, is a kind of a news brief. It comes once or twice a week and it gives you kind of the headlines but with the christian perspective so it i, I found it to be very interesting reading in a very usually about five minute read twice a week so it's easy to manage yeah it, it takes very little time out of your day all right well thank you so much for listening if you've enjoyed this podcast and think others might enjoy it too please share it please rate it and review on apple apple podcast or apple Podcast, uh whatever platform you found us and they are legion you can find us on the worldwide interweb at Little Vital Pod on Instagram and Twitter, Littles and Vital Podcasts on Facebook, and we would seriously love to hear from you. If you have an idea of a subject you'd like to hear us cover, shoot us a DM, and remember, if it's vital, look for the Vittles. <laughs>